listening to the Mindful Biz Podcast. I'm Alison Morgan, business coach at Relauncher. Sharpening up the legals in your business may not be the most exciting part of running a business. However, it's something that we need to be aware of and address at a variety of stages along the business journey. Joining us in this podcast episode is solicitor Tracy Marla-Crane. Tracy has over 15 years experience in law, including more than 12 years of professional practice experience, six years at partner level. Tracy has recently created her own business and is an online solicitor who is fabulous for helping small business owners. I've worked with Tracy and can honestly say that she is a contact that you all need to have. Whether you're franchising, buying or selling a business, requiring contracts, terms and conditions, dealing with partnership disputes or commercial leasing, Tracy is a fabulous source to have in your golden Rolodex. Hi Tracy, thank you so much for joining us here today. How are you? Oh, hi, Alison. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. I know a lot of people have heard me speak about you already, so I thought it'd be so great to get you on and we can have a chat and learn exactly what you do and how you can help lots of small business owners out there. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks, Alison. So before we get into it, I would love you to introduce yourself. Okay, so... um, my name's obviously, I'm Tracy. I am a lawyer. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mum. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I'm, I'm all those fun things. Um, I've been in the business of law for about 15 years. And I've got to say that the stuff I do now is the stuff that just sets my soul on fire. This is my, my passion. And for me, it's just a, a true love. Yeah, that's, that's why people start their own businesses, isn't it? It is. It it so is. (laughs) So you've got two children. Are they primary school aged? I've got three years old and five years old. So next year they'll both be in school, five-day school. So life is just looking like it's going to start a whole new chapter for me next year because I feel like um, there'll be this structure that we're all just craving, which will be really great. Mm. Yes, I can remember you know, it was really interesting because when my kids went to school, I thought, oh, I'm going to have all this time. You'll find the same thing. It just gets filled up with work. And next thing you'll be thinking, gosh, those school hours are really short. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm scared of. I'm looking forward to it in the sense that my daughter's so ready. My son's yeah. just taken to it like a duck to water. So I've got all these grand plans of all these fabulous things I'm going to be doing in these school hours. But you're right, that's exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) But I'm still going to act surprised when it does, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) So you're a solicitor and you said that you were practising, you were in the really big law firms for about 15 years. Tell us what that was like. So I I started practising law and I had this idea from watching American TV, I've got to be honest. Um, that law law in courtrooms and litigation was going to be really dramatic and, you know, almost romanticised and a little bit sexy. But um, to actually get there and pursue all of that, it's absolutely nothing like that. When I started my career, um, I used to spend at least three days a week sitting behind my desk on the floor crying just because the pressure was so intense and I was trying to learn so quickly what to do. I thought I was the only person on the face of the earth that was incompetent, basically, in, in learning all of this stuff. But unbeknownst to me, that was the norm. That's what we wow. all did. 
How we many went hours in a day were you working, do you think? 12. Yeah. 12 hours a day, seven days. And I thought back then, I must be doing really well. I must be successful. Surely this is what success looks like. And that's just what we all did um, in that type of work because litigation is relentless. You know, you're, you're at the mercy of the courts most of the time and the clients needed somebody to do all that for them. So you just basically gave away any type of hope of a personal life and that's what you did. So that was all fine because I thought I was doing really well and then it sort of started to occur to me that this is not the way. There's got to be a better way. So I ended up um, deciding to try a different path and a friend of mine um, and I decided to found our own law practice and do things a bit differently. And we did that and that was really great. But then as the years went on, I realised it was minus the tears, thankfully, it was all the same intensity and pressure. And what I discovered is because I was working for clients at the tail end of their of their journey, I suppose. I was working for clients when everything had gone wrong and they oh, found themselves in the that, hot water. That's so stressful. It really was. It was the intensity of the journey for them. So it was when things had gone so wrong, they were in court. And, you know, after doing that for years, I've realised that's the last place anyone should be. It's it's not as dramatic as what we see on TV. The, the stakes are high. The consequences are real. The livelihoods are getting destroyed. There's got to be a better way. So, you know, that's the sort of the long way of explaining to you how I ended up where I am now because after t- I took some time out. After all that intensity, it, it took me a long time to fall pregnant. I actually didn't think I was going to be able to fall pregnant with my son at one point. And when we did, it was an aha moment for me because I realised this n- normal way of living that I had told myself was a normal way of living actually wasn't a normal way of living. It was a really silly way of living because the stress levels were so high all of the time. That's why I believe in my heart. That's why it took me so long to fall pregnant. So when I did, I took a step back and thought, no, this can't be right. And so when my son was born, it was about three weeks after he was born, I stepped out of the law completely and thought, I can't do all of this. Something's going to give and it's either going to be at my client's expense or at my child's expense. Let's not let either one of those things happen. So I took time out and just focused on um, raising uh, a newborn for the first time. And I think that was probably one of the smartest things I've done in my career so far because after I did that, um, I, I took um, I accepted a teaching position at ANU to teach law whilst I was raising this little person, which was really fabulous because it gave me the thinking space that I needed to to sort of give some time and some thought to what I really wanted um, for my career and my family but it also put into perspective for me what it is that clients need and how it is that I could deliver that. So after a few years of time out and another baby later, which was fabulous, I decided to create um, a law practice which focused on helping clients stay out of all of that hot water and all of that stress and intensity that I'd spent so many years working in So I wanted to really take away what I could from those years and package it up into what I think I've created now where I can say to clients, this is what 
doing things badly can look like. This is what potentially can go wrong. This is where you could end up. Let's work together to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, so, you know, in the health and wellness space, they would, in their words, for what they do, it's called prevention. It is. It, it is actually, isn't it? And it yeah. sounds cliche to say prevention is mm. better than cure, but it's not cliche because it's so profound and it's so true and it applies itself to so many aspects of life and the legal aspects of your business is exactly that. Prevention is better than cure. You're absolutely right. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you recently set up tracymarlacrane.com. Has it got .au yep. at the end? No. No, it doesn't, .com. Anyway, we'll link it all up at the show notes afterwards anyway. So basically what that is, it's virtual online boutique law practice. And you can, oh, my gosh, you can help so many people beyond small business owners. But for the sake of today, because the majority of people that are listening in are small business owners, I'd love to you just to list off some just like categories or areas that you can help with and then we can talk about, you know, like how you can actually help or how it kind of works. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, I decided to really focus on the how to keep people out of the space that I was in for so long. And for small business, small and medium business, um, what I'm finding um, where I'm finding I add the most value for clients is either before they set up or when they're just setting up and they need to get some advice on, from a legal perspective, what they have to do, their business structure options, how to set up their business structure properly if they're not a sole trader. Once they've got that going, we need to talk about things like business terms and conditions, consulting agreements, service agreements, partnership agreements, shareholder agreements, all of those types of things to make sure that everything is structured and set up properly so that that significantly reduces any chance for dispute or uncertainty or confusion down the path. Mm. The other area I'm finding I'm helping a lot of people at the moment is with website terms and conditions and privacy policies and business terms and conditions as distinct from website terms and conditions. There's a lot of confusion in the market around that because the law is very clear but it's not articulated well to yeah. small so business So can we owners. explain this to everyone? Because this is something that everyone needs to know. Sure. So if, if you're collecting information on your website, if you're collecting an email address or if you're selling something and you're collecting personal details, you need a privacy policy. There's legislation that says you need to have a privacy policy to tell people how it is you're treating their personal information. That's the first thing. The second thing to protect yourself, if your website gives out any type of information, if you have a blog, if you post links to other websites, um, if you're selling things, whether it's um, ebooks or templates or whether it's actual products, you need website terms and conditions and they are separate to the business terms and conditions that you might be utilising under the Australian Consumer Law. So the website terms and conditions sets out basically the rules about how people can use your website, particularly if you're putting information on there to be helpful. You don't want to be sued later because somebody relied on that information and it didn't do what they thought it was going to do. Um, and it provides guidance to the users on how to use your website, but also disclaimers. So if you've got links to other websites and somebody gets a virus on their computer, you don't want to be sued for that. Yeah. Things okay, like so the, that. 
Yeah, so so basically that usually sits in the footer on a website, but then we've got the business terms and conditions. So just talk us through that. Okay, so if you're a service provider, for example, um, and you are issuing people with um, a quote or a scope of works for the work you're going to do for them, the Australian consumer law says that you need to explain to the people to that to sorry you need to explain to those people to your prospective customers or clients how it is working with you will work and that needs to be done each time sorry I'm just about to sneeze that needs to be done each time you engage with them you've got to give them your business terms and conditions how you're going to charge them what they're going to get when they're going to get it what their rights are how to make payment those types of things so the consumer law says that needs to be provided up front to your clients so that they've got an opportunity to consider your term, your proposal and your terms and conditions and decide whether or not they wish to work with you. That's what needs to be provided. Similarly, if you're selling a product, then details need to be provided so that the person knows what they're buying and what their rights are in relation to that purchase. That's is this the consumer only for online? Product. Because basically if you go into a shop, into a real retail mm. space, no one's going to be serving up terms and conditions at that point of sale. So no, they don't. It's slightly different because yeah. you you when you walk into a retail shop, you go in with an expectation that you will purchase a good or an item, you will pay for it, and you have consumer law protection. The product has to be fit for purpose, and you can return it. But you will notice that if you go into Q or Meyer or somewhere like that, they will have somewhere usually up on their their cash register their returns policy. They have yeah. to advise you of that. So whilst the product has to be fit for purpose at law and you're entitled to a refund if it's not. If you change your mind, you're not necessarily entitled to a refund. At law, if you change your mind, they don't have to give you a refund. Some of them choose to and they'll have that refund policy or their returns policy somewhere near their cash register or their, their payment their payment area. So would you say something like, let's just say an exercise slash fitness studio, should they have their terms and conditions somewhere up in the studio or not? Because that's very well, that's, un-yogi to have that up. Yeah, it is. But when you sign up, so if you're going to a yoga studio, you're either signing up and paying for that attendance when you arrive or you're doing it online. If you're yeah. doing it online, the yeah. terms and conditions will be there and you'll usually have it to, to click. You'll usually have something to click on to say, I accept the terms and conditions. Um, everyone would have seen those yeah, all yeah, the time and we never sense. read them. We just mm. click it. Or when you're going into the yoga studio and you're, you're, you're giving over your details, on the back of the form that you fill out with your name and address will be their terms and conditions. Yeah. They don't need to put it up at the cash register, but you have to have notice of it before you sign up. Mm. And you will. You'll have notice of it on the website or on the back of the form that you sign when you when you go in for the first time. Yeah. Now, one question which I know a lot of people are thinking because some some of these terms and conditions are just written, they're really legal heavy. Can you have them written in a way that's much more friendly to the reader? You absolutely, you, you absolutely can, and I'll go a step further to say you should. Yeah. Um, so there's two ways of doing it. You can go the archaic old school legalese way, which I can't even understand half of the time and I've got the degree. Yeah. Um, or you can go the way where you actually get it tailored to suit you and to suit your clients and that's what should be happening. And when you you should be proud of your terms and conditions. You should understand them front and back and inside out. They should be plain English. They should be easy to read. And it's the type of document that as somebody's reading through them, a new client, they should be nodding along. Okay, yep, 
yeah, that makes sense. Great. And you get to the end and you're very clear. There's, not, there's no rocket science in there. It's not going to be anything um, that they've never seen before. But it can be done in a really lovely, clear, simple, friendly way. And I go a step further to say it should be done like that because this is your business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's another piece of communication. It is. Part, partnerships is another area where, you know, a lot of people have partnerships and they start out all rosy. And quite often um, the partners actually know each other before they become partners. They're friends in some shape or form. And, you know, they think ne- nothing is ever going to happen. Touch wood, it never does. But, you know, how? what's the best process for setting up partnerships so that if something does happen down the track, everything is dealt with in a nice way? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so sad because I see it so often and friendships and livelihoods can be destroyed at the end of that, not to mention the value of the business. So the way I explain partnerships in my mind, it's like a marriage. And when you start and everything's rosy and everybody's full of love and enthusiasm, that is the time where you should be documenting your agreement so everybody's expectations are very clear. And critically, you should be documenting your exit strategy. And hopefully you don't have to rely on it, but if you do, Because it was documented at the very beginning when everybody was clear about all of the options and all of the possibilities, if something happens and you need to invoke your exit strategy because something's gone awry, you can just quite simply refer back to your partnership agreement, invoke what needs to be invoked so that the value of the business is preserved, the value of your asset is preserved, and you can both move on your own separate ways. It does not have to be ugly. It does not have to be costly. Yeah. How often, I was just going to say, how often should you revisit that partnership agreement? When things change. So if you, if you, so if you and I were to enter into a partnership today to go and do something, um, we would both sit down and we would list all of the things that we want to include in this agreement, your expectations, my expectations, how we're getting paid, what we're going to do if there's a dispute, um, dispute resolution clause and how we're going to exit. That's fine for you and I because it's just the two of us. Down the track, though, if we bring somebody else on board, that's a really good time to revisit it because rather than just having that person adopt what we've already got, they might have something valuable to add and we can improve it and we can grow. So if somebody else comes into the into the partnership, that's a good time to do it. Another good time to revisit it is just when there has been growth. When businesses grow, things change. Your expectations change, your circumstances change, the demands on your time change, what you're putting in, what you're getting out, it all changes. So to revisit it after a period of growth is also really sensible because there's been some time for reflection after you've experienced this growth and how how wonderfully it's all going. But after things have changed, you can take an opportunity, time out, regroup, Let's revisit this. Let's tweak this. Let's tweak that so we can move forward um, knowing that our agreement between us is current. What happens in the instance where the partner, we've well, got a partnership agreement and let's just say three years down the track, one person ends up doing way more work than the other person because I know this happens all the time. Yeah. How, how do you approach that without um, souring any relationships from a legal standpoint, like does the contract need to be revisited or what happens? It does need to be revisited because the expectations will have changed. So yeah. if someone's doing more than the other person, 
that does happen because that's life and it means that things have changed. It's unfortunate because when you say how do you approach it without souring the relationship legally, it's not a legal question. It's yeah, a, it's I know. A, As I answered, I thought question. I know that it's not, yeah. That's the thing. So yeah. you need to be able to, and, and this is the thing you would hope. We don't always get it. I see that. I get the tail end after things have gone sour. When, when two people or three people, however many people, are in a business or a partnership, it would just be so much easier for everybody involved if people would come to the table like adults, leave their ego at the door and have a factual discussion without the emotion to talk about what has actually transpired. The thing is, when someone does more work than the other person, that's not an emotional issue, that's a factual issue. You either have or you haven't. If it then we just we realise we're in a dispute because it's an issue of perception, I don't think you have done more but I think I have done more, there are ways that we can navigate that too and a mediation style yeah. I have found is very effective when there's an independent person trying to navigate this for people just to try to keep the emotion at the door. It can be really valuable. But yeah. at the end of the day, this is your business. Everybody wants the best for the business. If we can leave our emotions and our ego at the door, it can be a very productive discussion to update that partnership agreement so we can move forward in a smooth, harmonious way without destroying everything we've worked so hard to build. Mm. Okay, commercial leasing because, oh, gosh, I've got some clients which have had some real difficult times when it comes to commercial leasing. So how can you help from your point of view? Well, um, I do a lot of commercial lease advice for clients, normally for the tenant. I do act for, for lessors. Most of the advice I give is for tenants. Um, the first thing is to understand what it is you are getting yourself into. That is where I find people fall down and let themselves down. So we get um, one type of client who thinks this is really easy. I know what I'm doing. I don't need a lawyer. So they go straight in. They sign themselves up. And in six months, 18 months, they realise they've got some obligations that they weren't aware of. They realise that they want to get out of the lease because businesses change they need to go somewhere else, guess what? It's actually really hard to get out of the lease. Yeah. So my number one tip, yeah. sorry, I'm about to sneeze again. It's hay fever time down here. Okay? <laughs> Lawyers <Gosh>. do sneeze. <laughs> oh, gosh. They're human. <laughs> <laughs> but I really can add the most value at the beginning before someone signs up to a commercial lease so mm. I can advise them of their obligations, particularly how to get out of the lease, what their obligations are upon the termination of a lease and make good and things like that. Um, but the other thing that I find people get burnt on is their um, options to renew. There's, there's a particular way you have to give notice to renew an option for a renewal under a lease and if you don't do it in a particular manner in a particular time frame, too bad, so sad, it's all over. So there's things like that that people find themselves in difficulty because they didn't take the time to get the advice at the beginning. Right. The other thing is rent, rent increases and how to oh, negotiate yes. with them about things like that. So, yeah. again, it is just critical to understand all of the terms of the lease before you start, before you sign up, because despite what people think, not every lease is the same. Mm. Franchises. Some some people, you know, they wonder whether they should franchise. Other people wonder whether they should buy into a franchise. Again, yeah. how can you help with that? 
I deal with both, so franchisee and franchisor, um, both sides, lots of red tape, lots of hoops to jump through. Um, so if a, if a business is thinking about whether or not they should franchise, then they really need to understand what's involved and there's a lot involved and what they need to do and what their obligations are, both to get started and ongoing to their franchisees. So understanding that process at the beginning is really valuable because it will feed into the thinking and the decision-making as to whether or not they wish to franchise in the first place. On the other side of the table, acting for the franchisee, you know, I find clients come along and they're they're very enthusiastic and and starry-eyed because they've got all these visions of all these things they can do, which is great. They, They can do all those things, but... There's lots and lots of costs associated with being a franchisee and sometimes the feasibilities work out perfectly and sometimes they don't. But there is no point doing your numbers and your feasibilities at the beginning if you don't have everything in there, entering into the franchise and in six months' time realising there were costs that you hadn't factored in and that can tip you over the edge of whether or not you're going to be viable or not. So, again, it's getting the right advice at the beginning, before you make a decision to go forward. You also need to know your exit strategy and how you can get out. That's really important Mm. as to what happens if it doesn't go well. That needs to be understood at the beginning, I think. Oh, my goodness. There's There's so much to take into consideration. And, look, everyone knows it, but I think often what happens is, um, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff, people really often just don't want to deal with it or they deal with it at the beginning, the business goes through growth and then they just become so busy and it's in the back of the mind, I need to go and revisit all these things and they just don't get a chance. And so I think that this is like such a good conversation to have so that if you are in, you know, that growth phase to remember, gee, I need to go back and revisit and just make sure everything's in order, but chances are it will just need to be updated. That's exactly right. And it's the, you've probably heard this, and I don't know where I first heard the quote, but make the time to work on the business, not just in the business. And the thing is, it's so important because if it is prioritised, just a little bit of time to work on the business and have this looked at, you really could avoid ending up in a pitfall situation where you need a litigation lawyer where it's going to cost you 10 times as much, it's going to be far more stressful, it's going to take far more, it'll be far more demanding on your time to deal with if something goes wrong than what it would have if you had just carved out a couple of hours here and there to talk to a lawyer, to make sure it's current, to make sure you're constantly protected along the way. So it's a matter of priorities, I guess. It's really easy to get caught up, but I just... I don't know how to say it strongly enough that it's so critical to revisit to avoid the pitfalls that I talked about at the beginning. Yeah. I think also some people just don't know who to go to, really. I mean, so often, and that's why I'm like, I have to get Tracy on here. (laughs) But, But the other thing is, is people think, oh, my gosh, this is going to cost tens and tens and tens, like huge amounts of money that the business doesn't have. So this is also where you come in because the way you charge is very, very different. It is, Alison, and I've got to say lawyers have a bad rap and I can understand why. You know, the traditional law firm model where you need to carve out half a day to go and see your lawyer and you sit across the table and you get charged $600 an hour and all the rest of it, I've always found it off-putting. So, I'm, you know, I'm now in a position of privilege where I can put myself into clients' shoes and think, well, what do we want? I don't do it that way. 
this is the beautiful thing about what I've created. I charge on the basis of a fixed fee value add. So I don't charge every time I pick up the phone. I don't charge for reading an email. I don't actually have an hourly rate. I look at a matter. I talk to a client. We we work out together what's required. And then I will put a price on it. I will sit down. I'll scope the work. And then I will fix those fees. That means at the very beginning, before anything is done, the client can make a decision. Does this fit within my budget or not? And I haven't so far had anybody say it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and that's because I will I charge on a value add basis. So I've been doing this for long enough to know how long that's going to take me, what is going to be required, and where this should be situated. So that means that I can talk openly to a client about budget timeframes, what they need, and I can we can have that full and frank discussion at the beginning, which I prefer to do because I don't like talking about money. And then we just both get on and work together to create the result that we need. Law firms, fresh breath of fresh air. (laughs) And and that's I find it a breath of fresh air too because Mm. it works for me. It works for the clients, and I don't have to have that really awkward and uncomfortable discussion when they ring up and say, "Well, why have I been charged this?" Well, because you made ten phone calls to me that day. Yeah, I was really stressed and anxious, and I needed to talk to you. Yes, so it's almost like you're penalising the client mm. in a way. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something that's never sat comfortably with me. So having done this for as long as I have, I'm prepared to back myself so that if a job blows out, for example, and it takes longer than I thought or there was a bit more involved or whatever the case may be, I'll wear that because, I, as I say, I back myself, I trust myself, and if I can't trust myself, how do I expect my client to trust me? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You know, the one last thing I was going to say also is sometimes people don't even know what they want. So this is the great thing about you is that they can actually speak to you and say, this is the position that my business is at. I just want to make sure I've got everything in order. And then you'll be able to say, have you got this? Have you done this? And then all of a sudden it becomes very crystal clear what is needed. Absolutely. I've got to say some of the some of the discussions I loved having the most is when clients come and it's it's just a clean slate. This is what I do. This is what we've done. What do we do? And that's great. I find that refreshing because there's an element of trust there as well. So the client's trusting me to say, well, can you guide me? And then I'm actually able to ask questions right from from scratch so that I can position exactly where it is we need to take that particular client to cover off liability, to cover off expectations, to cover off legal requirements, all of it, all of it. So it's not a silly question. And I do have a lot of clients say I was really nervous um, before making this call because I thought I was going to sound silly. I didn't know what to ask. There's no silly question. We all know that. But if I can just pull out the information that I need, I can very quickly piece the puzzle together to work out what it is we need to do going forward. So, so, so good. I'm so glad you could join us here, Tracy, because this is going to help so many people and also make people realise that doing this process is not scary. No, it's not. I find it a lot of fun and actually so do clients. <laughs> I'm not started. sure we find it fun, but I'm really <laughs> glad you do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's refreshing and new and creating solutions yeah. and working with people in spaces that they love, you know. Mm. I just I just really love it. So I'm so delighted to talk to you about this today. I'm just really sorry that my hay fever is flaring up. But oh, I that's all right. That's all right. Now, just, so just some other points. I know we're about to wrap this up, but you can also help with trademarking because that's another element. Um, yes. Also, 
working out between contractors and employees because that's another huge one that I know a lot of people face. Yes, that's really important to get that Oh, my gosh. But also on your website you've got a huge amount of lists, but I just think it's easier just to get in contact with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Talk to me and ask the question. And the other thing, if if I can't add value and if I really can't help, then I won't take the matter on. Yeah. Um, I don't want to waste my client's time. I don't want to waste my time. So when I do take a matter on, it's because I know that I've got something to contribute. Amazing. So, Tracy, can you please spell your your surname or your entire URL so people can find you? And then I'll also put a link on my website, relauncher.com.au, through your site as well. Great. So I can be found at, it's Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, hyphen, and my surname, which is Myla Crane, M-Y-L. E-C-H-A-R-A-N-E.com. Excellent. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Alison. Thanks so much for having me.